ASI, episode 14, season 4. My name is Russ Shaw. Recovery is the work of constantly having those people that might call have walk-in rights. Right? You know, like, you know, if we knew each other, like, you could just, I could not see you for years and just say, well, what are you doing? Yeah. What about that thing? What's going on? How's that thing going? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I say, oh, yeah, okay, good point. All right. Uh, yes, that is Mr. Jim Henderson. A little clip for you there. Jim popped up on my radar years ago, and I thought he was maybe one of these religious dudes that didn't like Mars Hill Church or didn't like Mark Driscoll's style. And little did I know that after 2007, somewhere around that neighborhood, that uh, I, I had no idea what side of bad religion Mars Hill Church was on until the secrets started to come out. Jim had been trying to raise awareness and point to the truth and get to people to pay attention to what the church was not addressing. And I, I thank him for that now, the work that he's done. But this book that he wrote is not just about Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll. It's about how we deal with spiritual bullies. Because the Pharisees are alive and well in 2015. There's been a, a story that broke, and, and Matt Chandler did a big uh, apology. Matt Chandler, the lead pastor, speaking pastor at the Village Church in Texas, has issued a, an apology about some of the way the leadership has handled some situations there, some situations that have made the, the news. And, um, man, I listened to this story, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I still haven't finished it, all right? I'm halfway through it. I was physically ill, all right? Um, and, and Matt issued a public apology, which, which is awesome. That's not something that Mark Driscoll ever would have done. Um, it wasn't a personal moral failure on his part, but just some some really bad leadership decisions by the staff. Like, really freaking bad, all right? And I've sent listeners, man, I've encouraged you to go to the Village Church, and, you know, um, I, I, I got a list of churches on the website that I don't know, right? Like, I don't know. I'm trying to make the right decisions, and why listen to me, right? I don't know. Just, man, I don't know. How do we trust these institutions called churches? I struggle with it. And, uh, again, Russ at ASI247.org. If you, if you go to the Village Church, especially if you go because it was something that I said, um, get a hold of me, maybe. How, how are things going there? How are you doing? Um... 
I, I, I'm just, I'm concerned, all right? I'm concerned for the listeners. Um, and I'm concerned for the church, quite frankly. Trusting this thing, this thing called church is, is something that I'm still working out. But I have my Christian friends. I do go to a church on Sundays, almost every Sunday. And I, and I know the pastor really well. And, you know, small church, is that more safe? I don't know. I like churches that are like cities. I do. Because there's a lot of, of help and support that you can get in a bigger church that you can't get in a smaller church. Um, but at the same time, people just need to be honest, man, about who their savior is. If this themselves or or their church or if it's Jesus. And I think if we're honest, then that's when Christ really shines in our lives. Despite our weaknesses, despite our folly. Um, and, and I commend uh, Mr. Chandler for his apology publicly. And uh, I, I pray that that whole thing works out. It, it's one thing to apologize. It's, a, it's another thing to get into the intricate messiness of having to discipline staff members over being bullies and um, misogynistic I don't know the whole story, but that's just where I'm at. So I wanted to throw that out there. Hopefully I didn't ramble on too long about that. And we'll get into episode 14. In the heart of the Seattle Education Epicenter is Zocus Coffee. It's a beautiful little coffee shop. Uh, awesome kind of old school setup with all the tables. Huge study area right in there. And that's why I interviewed uh, Jim Henderson. And listen, some of you think you may be thinking like just this, this fear that I have of church, and I've got those emails in the past. And it's not so much that I fear church or the social construct that is the church. I'm like I, I love God, I trust God, but when churches feel like they don't have to be accountable, that's a problem. In the education system, in universities, people are held accountable for their actions. Blessed exposure is something I've seen in my own life as life-giving, painful, but life-giving and good. The blessing of exposure drives some accountability, does it not? Because listen, this ain't no witness, ain't no crime attitude, ain't gonna fly anymore. Not in this day and age. Uh, Jim wrote this book with Doug Murin to help maybe bolster some of that responsibility of what's public, what should we share, what should we not share. Um, it's important. So, on the other side of this bumper, uh, Mr. Jim Henderson. I, we were talking, we were in this awesome conversation, and I, I was like missing stuff, so I just hit the record button, and here you go. I have another cup of coffee. It's been a few hours. 
Jim Henderson, welcome to the podcast. Good to have you on the show. Um, a lot of people, you're a controversial figure here in the Seattle area, if not nationwide. And people have been, I've got a few emails uh, over the last year or so talking about, uh, you know, my distrust of religious organizations. That's part of what this show was founded on, all right? When I started the ASI podcast back in the late 2005, I approached it from the, the construct that I don't trust Christians <laughs> with my brokenness, yeah. right? right? Like, I had some major things going on in my life, some major hard, you know, stuff that was popping out of the closet, you know, the skeletons I couldn't keep closed back behind the doors anymore. So when that stuff started to leak, I was going to the church to get help. Right. Um, and now part of this was because I figured, well, I can't afford a real counselor, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. So I went to the church, and, uh, and well, I was... Uh, blessed enough to have some folks who who really engaged me and weren't afraid to talk about some of these issues. Right. But part of the again part of the approach of the ASI podcast is is trust building with people in a right in like the religious community. Yeah. And that's really what your book is about. So I wanted to talk about your book uh, Question Mark uh, is co-written with with Doug Mirren. What? Give me the premise of the idea behind the the birth of this this work that you did. Well, I was um, uh, for any number of reasons decided around 2004 to begin tracking Mark Driscoll's behavior since he's a public figure in Seattle, and I right. pastored in the a Seattle quickly area. quickly growing public figure. Oh, yeah, yeah, rapidly. Yeah. And so that made him in a different category than the rest of us. Mm -hmm. But I had been in the Seattle area pastoring for about 25 years and church planted and uh, had kind of come up out of the Jesus People Movement, which is where Doug Mirren came. That's where Doug and I met originally. Right. So those are my roots. Uh, so that creates... Uh, Kind of, a, we didn't use this word then, but a missional kind of attitude toward church, kind of kingdom first, that type of thing. Right. And so, and I, you know, I started things from the ground up, and then I kind of knew all the players in Seattle, knew of them. And so, when when Driscoll appeared, um, uh, you know, he just he just triggered some uh, uh, issues for me in terms of like his behavior, and so I began to just when I say track him uh, be aware of him of course you know we have the internet now right. so now we can like track people and they, we can pass information about them and all that type of thing you can say things in public you'd never get to say anyone, and you can find out if anybody cares so that really was what triggered it uh, and it was then you know it first, there's many things that he did that were to me unfortunate uh, his uh, apart from how I may agree with him theologically, um, and and so one of was his just his mean spiritedness. Right. Uh, for a young person, particularly, that was concerning to me. You know, and it did it more. It was more like 
braggadocio kind of, you know, so you let that pass a little bit because right. it's like it's engaging young men. Yeah, exactly, young you men get like the, you get the fight. Drug. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you get that whole thing, right? You go okay, but then it, it the gets MMA. persistent. Yeah, then yeah. it gets persistent, and then you add to that. I have a particular issue for young people uh, name calling older people. Right. Even even if I agree with the young person's premise, because the young person lacks life experience to actually have earned the right to criticize this person, in my opinion. Right, right. That's because I'm an old person. <laughs> right. So I just think that's, I think it's uh, punk. Right. It's really punk. Right. And so, and then when you start doing it to my friends, you know, when you start calling out Paul Young or Brian McLaren or other people that I'm personal friends with, then it's like, you know, you're really a punk and I'm going to come after you. Right. Get your ass. Right. You know, that's how I feel, right? So, uh, so in that regard, I'm like him, right? I'm a fighter. You right. Know, I'll chase people down. and But they have to be very select. I, I have a very small group. In fact, he's probably the only one I've done this to that I can think right. of. But, but it's a, it's a, what I liked about your book is it's, um, it's kind of a template for a lot of what's going on Absolutely. in Christian culture. Well, that occurred to us later. We realized this, like, oh, this is a problem everywhere. Right. That he is uh, he's the representative person for in many ways. And he has the double-edged sword uh, problem of, like, using the Internet to get big and then also can be used against you then, right? Yeah. And uh, so, yes, but it, what really what happened was that we realized what we're actually talking about here is bullying. Yeah, and, and yeah. I mean, we had to figure out what's the orienting story here that is larger. And he clearly kept bringing it to bringing the, the material public, like he was really being a bully to people. Then I discovered, of course, he was being a bully internally. Later, all the, you know that all took years to discover. Right. Um, so um, the book was to identify the larger problem, systemic problem. So Driscoll is not the book is it leverages Driscoll's story, but it's not about him. Right. You know, it's not like a. That's uh, what I appreciate. It's about not a biography him. about him. Right. It's more like, oh yeah, he's he's young, he's got problems. Yeah. And um, he's re- he's a representative person, so let's let's address that. Yeah. And and it was because of that then in the book we addressed. You know, theological issues, biblical issues, um, cultural issues, and uh, so we, the book is lar- about the larger issue of bullying and and how to fix it. Right. You know, how to address bullying from a yeah, biblically, theologically. Why? Why? Why do we welcome people? Why? Forget about being mad at him. Why did the church ever give him write him a check? Right. Why? Now, right. you know, I mean, there's a lot of answers to that. Well, he's a great preacher, and young people need him, blah, blah, blah. But but honestly, when you go go as far as, like, he has proven to be now, where he's completely, even as, who's defending him? I mean, even his <laughs> most consistent allies are silent. And you know, you think somebody would be defending him, but there's nobody. There's right. really nobody with any voice defending him. And there's, it's like just waiting for his story to continue to unfold. Totally, and he keeps and bringing it. You brought up the, the mention of, of punk, and, and I'm kind of, I wrote a, I bought the, the dot com punk theology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm a bit of a, I'm an old punk rocker mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. like the 80s. I, yeah, so you know, I'm using the term as an old school. Right, right. I get that. But that's part of, uh, that's another thing I appreciate about your book is that, you know, punk rock is just kind of a, a continued washing of the old into the new, you right, know? Right. And if you look back and you read the Bible, Jesus' number one social issue is 
spiritual abuse, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the yes. Pharisees, it it was, he wasn't starting a new religion. Right. He, was, he was, you know, just walking out what was to be fulfilled and, and not, you know, these guys were mean. Right. I mean, he mean. took the biggest issue with the dudes who were obeying all the rules. Right. They were supposedly, on the surface, doing everything right, but they were just right. freaking mean. Right. Um, there's some questions that you, you ask in the book that I love at the beginning of it. Um, how did the church become a safe place for religious bullies? Mm-hmm. That's a question I've been asking since this show started. Right. 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 Because here, here I am. I'm going to be vulnerable, and I'm going to address this issue, this stuff that's in me that, that I don't talk about with the rest of my friends. Right. I remember my, my daughter, because I'm not a real shy person. I, I do sales for a living. Too. No. <laughs> and so I, uh, I, my daughter, we, we started going to this church, and I hadn't been to church for years. But these yeah. guys were starting to compel me, all right? What is this gospel? Who is this right. Jesus? Because they were like, I went in there and said, you know, I think that religious people are jerks and assholes. And, right. and the pastor there goes... Yeah, those are the guys that killed Jesus. You know, do you want to talk about this? Let's let's continue right. the story. And they kept this dialogue going with me. But my daughter goes, Dad, I've never seen you shy before. Like you're 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 being shy. You're acting shy here. That's that's weird. Why is that? Mm. And I said, because this to me is intimate. You mm-hmm. know, this to me is is being vulnerable. Right. So if we're going to engage culture on issues as deep as sexuality, mm-hmm. then we need to be a safe place for people, right? And and you're you're absolutely right. And These then questions. not be manipulated when you open up, right? Imagine yeah. if they did this in an AA group, a recovery group, where they, they drew you in, listened to you, and then spun on you. Right. Right? Yeah. And then they spun on you at the end. It turns out, oh, we have a game going on here. Yeah. You, know, you thought this is one thing, but I'm actually leveraging this to play you. That's right. what I think Driscoll did. Because he's not recovered. No. No, he's not. He doesn't get the basic, you know, and that's, and that took some unpeeling, you know, and it took some exposing of lies. Yeah. So you start to, I think, the, as these guys get bigger, oh, let me read the questions before I, before I get ahead of myself a little bit here. Um, here are some of the questions that you ask. Why do we allow them in the pulpits in some of America's largest and most influential churches? Why do we put oversized microphones in their hands, multiple cameras, uh, digital resources at their fingertips to reach millions. Why do we pay them garnish amounts of money to do it? Garish amounts. Garish amounts. That's, yeah, <laughs> my reading is a little hard. It's okay. Garnish, that's a... I understand. It's, it's on the, the side of, of the state. to us. I've got to garish my wages. Right, right. Um, what, what are the uh, spiritual genetic markers... Mm-hmm. Our systems that uh, presuppose the warning signs uh, minimize the character flaws. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we we minimize their character flaws because it's like in sales, kind of. If a good salesman could be an alcoholic, raging, right. you know, sex addict, coke fiend, but if he's putting the numbers on the board, right. <laughs> come on, buddy, right. sit down, put the you know, put right. the points up, right. um, and that's that's not healthy. Right. And especially not healthy in a, in a spiritual right. community. It's a violation of the basic reason we joined. Exactly. We're trying to get away from that foolishness. Exactly. In That's the difference between the world right. and, exactly. and and a spiritual community. Right. And there's just there's just a lot of worldliness 
yeah. in the spiritual community yeah. uh, in in these mega churches in some of them. Well, and a then, lot of small churches too, though. Yeah, know, it's yeah. not it's not just a uh, a problem. I think we I think we understage that we can make a straw man out of mega churches. Because you and I both, I happen to know people that lead megachurches that are legit people. Right. They're good, good people. And uh, so to characterize, I'd say they're more, I don't know that they're more vulnerable. I think small churches are also very vulnerable to, to power trips. And they control their happens, little flock. It happens in boards. What boards do reverses a lot. And in small churches, boards will reverse and carry the energy and the power and bully the pastor. Right. So it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, like I said, a just spiritual genetic marker. How do you tell when this is thing is going on in your system? Right. And that's what became of, of curiosity to me. You know, kind of like it's one thing to you know say this is a problem, but another thing like well, how would you even know how to stop it? Right. If you were if you were so inclined. Exactly. And you, so you're embracing. That's why I like the the title of the book too. Question mark is you're embracing the questions. You're embracing a lot of these questions that a lot of folks are afraid of, and you're. You're able to wade into those questions, and well, it seems, you know, um, we we all think that whatever it is we're talking about is what's most important, right? And and it must be a problem for everybody. So, I, I would say this: I would say that this was for me always a personal issue. This said I wasn't really trying to um, lead a movement or even raise a larger issue. It was about I just don't. This guy's unsafe. He's particularly unsafe for young people. Right. And who lack life experience and are hyper idealistic because I've been that person. So my real initial target was to remove him from view from young people who don't know. Like today, many young people don't know Mark Driscoll exists. Right. That's that makes the world a better place. Okay. <laughs> it makes the world a better place. That's a very harsh thing to say. And but but when a person rises to the level of you know, inappropriate behavior and manipulations he does, he's going to have to be taken out. It's an unfortunate reality. And so my only goal was to remove him from public view. And I had no expectation of what else would transfer in terms of uh, his church collapsing and all that, although that wasn't a big surprise. Um, so, because I care so about, kind of I saw care about that. young people. Oh, yeah, I did. A lot, of you, a lot of what you were saying and, and some of the folks that you know I've met through you saw this coming a long time ago. Oh, I didn't see it coming, and I work with addicts. You know, right, you think I, I would see. Like, I guess I just figured this guy had it together because the church was growing so fast. Right, right. A lot of people say that, like, oh, look at all the people that are coming, and he's, right. he's embracing the city, and, right. and, and right. you know... And he was giving Christianity a bad name. I, I, I work a lot with atheists and non-Christians. Right. I'm very interested in, in them. And I got this idea from the Bible, you know. Right. <laughs> and so, That's right. And from watching Jesus. And so, yeah. oh, we should care. And he clearly did not care, you know. And I know this is this sounds, you know, like the opposite of what he had marketed himself. But I had a number of non-Christian friends who would come to me and say, what is with this guy, you know. And he had a public face, and I think I'm also interested in public spirituality and how people manage themselves in public, and right. and because Jesus was public, and how did you know when to be public, when not to be public? How does a person know these things? How do you manage yourself, you know, when you're given that kind of influence? Um, and clearly, Driscoll was out of his out of his uh, depth in public because right. he was he had no cognizance other than 
uh, manipulating people and no cognizance of how he was being interpreted. And so I also felt that non-Christians needed somebody to agree with them about this guy's a dick, you know, and I'm not going <laughs> to not gonna say stand it. For and it. I had these discussions, I had these conversations in private with people. And then it's, it, they basically were saying, you know, when are you going to do something about it? You know, right. and I said, well, I'm working on it, you know, I'll let you know. Right. You know, help me, come to a protest or something. And so, um, you know, I felt I want those people to know there are Christians who are not stupid. Right. You know, who, who can, you know, I, we can disagree about what we, how we construct reality in terms of the quote unquote our beliefs. But on a human level, you know, um, I can see exactly what they're seeing. Right, and right. I wanted to represent them. I wanted to represent young people. Those are the, those are really my constituencies. You know, um, the, the book picks up on those stories, but also then emerges the larger systemic problem. You know that I address, and that's why I brought Doug Murin in because Doug had been Mark Driscoll in the '80s in Seattle, meaning he was as well known, popular, and as public as Driscoll. And he did some stupid things as well. He didn't do as many the kinds of stupid things, right? You know, but he so Doug was kind of a mega church pastor. Totally, he was huge. Right. He was as big as Driscoll, right. national. Right. People, and, yeah, that's how it only takes ten years for people to forget you, right? <laughs> I mean, right. so when I say I've seen this three times in Seattle, you know, it's like, yeah, I did. But nobody, when you're young, you think, well, this is the first time it's ever happened. That's right. the voice of Satan. Yeah, when you believe that, that's the voice of Satan. Yeah, I'm seeing something that's never happened before. No. that's how you know the devil's talking to you. That's right. It's a drug. So like C.S. Lewis said, "There's there's no new experience. It's just old stuff happening to new people." <laughs> right. So you know, it, it's new in the sense that you you get your turn, right? Right. And so what what was bothering me is why people my age were remaining silent. Right. You know, and I just without the internet, I'd have nothing. I mean, I mean, I have a big church. I never, I couldn't get a church past two hundred people, right? And so, like, the, the things have been flipped now. So that if you have something you're saying, I just decided all that happened really was I just turned my Facebook, my stupid little Facebook thing, world over pretty much to take him out in the last year. Right. To go so going after. Him. I just did. see that, that's what's interesting about. Uh, you and I is, uh, I think we have the same kind of <laughs> punk Reasons. rock engage right. engage the conflict kind of yeah, attitude, absolutely. just from different perspectives. Right. So here's one of the things that I liked about Driscoll is that he was edgy. Yep. You know, absolutely. he was kind, he's kind of the the Howard Stern, absolutely. right? Or yeah. Tom Likas of, of Christianity. Yeah. He just yeah. kind of bought, said what he felt. Yeah. He wasn't afraid to to go after some sort of religious people that I didn't trust at the time. Exactly. But what was going on behind the scenes, and I, I guess that's when I, it started to become apparent to me that this guy's got a lot of secrets. Mm -hmm. And one thing that we learn in recovery is you're about as healthy as your secrets. Exactly. <laughs> you know? And, and there was so much, like, some of these pastors that I really enjoyed, really liked, even, even knew a little bit, would just disappear from the website. Like, all of a sudden... Like, it's like they didn't exist as far as Mars. That had formerly been. Yeah, that had been. Oh, yeah. That had founded the church. Exactly. Like Leaf Moore. Leaf Moore. Leaf yeah, Moore. He, he was just gone. Like he never existed. And right. it was like, okay, that's one of those uh oh moments, uh -huh. you know? So and if it's your first rodeo, you give these people rope. If it's your third rodeo, they, they, that's it. <laughs> that's right. That's the only you've thing you need. seen it before. And here's where I'm I'm the edgy guy. And a lot of people have a hard time with me, Jim, is because I'll. I'm not afraid to keep my flaws in the light, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Like you know, this this show's marked explicit. Mm -hmm. um, right. My language isn't totally sanctified, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm not 
right. with my friends making methamphetamine anymore. Exactly. So that's a good thing. Right? Exactly. I've come a ways, you know. Sticking so needles around. That's right. And, and it, one of the things that you talk about it, going going there. There's something that I, I've done. I've done some coaching and I've done some um, consulting, basically with with churches and individuals on. A conflict resolution, usually to do with a sexual nature, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And there's always, uh, with me, there's always a, a kind of one of the things you brought up in the book is, is this thing on order. If you don't keep order, you're going to lose control. Mm-hmm. So when there's a guy who's had uh, some kind of a moral failure in, in the sexual realm, some of these guys will come to me like, "What, what, what would I do?" Because I'm the guy who's the offender, so they they approach me as the guy who's pretty much open about the exactly. fact that I have failed. Right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Huge more of it. What, what? How did I break through? Yeah. You know, just being a normal human right. being after all of that. Um, and one of the things I tell them is, "You're my Christian brother." But if this guy's married or whoever he's trying to keep control over, they're also my my Christian sister. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll put that in the realm of, yeah. for this example, a guy who's married. Right. Um, you're my Christian brother. Your wife is my Christian sister. Mm-hmm. So before I we, we get into this conversation, I need to know that you're a safe place for her. Mm-hmm. And that's something you bring up in the book, is if you try and keep order, you're going to lose control. So a lot of these guys, it's not just their own private secrets that they're going to divulge, but the way that they've kept their private secrets and how that spills out into their social life. Yeah. Which is another thing that we saw with Mars Hill. Right. Like here this guy had, I mean, I've heard stories, Jim, where it's like like the farmer's insurance guy in the film Whiplash. <laughs> oh, just, oh, I don't need to finish that film. I just started it, but I didn't finish it. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, my gosh. Like, I've heard these stories where he's just freaking out. Like, and, and this is all kept in the dark. Don't you dare say a word about it. And some of this stuff. Oh, just completely inappropriate. I know a story of uh, uh, a couple that were leading a small group ministry, and then they went to dinner and uh, with Mark and Grace, and they... They uh, during dinner, the woman expressed some opinion that was independent of her husband, and and they went home, and it, they were celebrating, I think, that that couple's anniversary or something. And they go to Driscoll's house afterwards, and he tells the guy's wife, "You stay in the porch; you're not allowed to come in my house." Right? The husband goes in, and he gives them the present for their anniversary, and he goes out. And the husband, of course, unfortunately, cooperated with this stupid little dance. His wife stands on the porch like she's shaming. He's shaming her. Right? Oh, man. And uh, that kind of treatment, you know, and so that triggered in her awareness of, like, something's broken here. Like, duh. Yeah. You know, and and that those stories repeat themselves right. over and over and over again. And it's fascinating how in a, in a culture, this is like a dysfunctional family, how everybody keeps secrets from each other. Uh-huh. So the kids don't talk to each other. That's part of the control issue. Right. And then, but when you can get them in the room and they share stories, that's when the, that's when the facade comes down. Right, right. right. And, and so addicts love that dance, that, that risky dance of controlling everybody yeah. and seeing how it's just a, it's a game it's, and it's an art. It is. You know, is it, I mean, and, it's, and, it's, it, and it's rooted in brokenness. So absolutely. that's the good part of these guys actually opening up. And, and some of the things I like to touch on too is gossip. Yeah. Like people, one thing Rick Warren said that I thought was brilliant, he said people are down on what they're not up on. Mm-hmm. So if someone's not going to be honest, we're just left to speculate on exactly. why did you do something like that? Exactly. Like why would you have this woman stand outside right. your house? Right. Like what? Where does that 
fit in. Fit into any kind of biblical, you know, attitude Human towards kindness. exactly Human <laughs> kindness. So, so yeah, it's it's breaking that that mold of, you know, I heard I heard an old you know another old statement from recovery is if you scratch an addict, you'll get a codependent. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. So there's a codependency thing going on where they're. Um, well, the whole church, the system around Driscoll was a codependent system. It was part of his identity, and I think it still is. He hasn't been broken of it. Oh, no. And, and many people, people are going to give him a stage. Many people in this church aren't broken of it. You know? Oh, yeah. So I, I love the saying, you know, codependent person is a person who dies and another person's life flash in front of their face. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and it's fascinating to me, having become friends now with people who are deeply committed to him and loyal to him, who are now not... Uh, the the sadness they're going through, the loss, and sort of, and also the self reflection they're going through about yeah. what was I thinking. That was me, dude. Yeah, well, me, I've been through that before myself, right? So yeah. I've been through this in other churches, and I thought I've been, I spent ten yeah. years doing that. So you're kind of like this is sort of a ministry for you, like me. It's like learn from my bloodshed. Yeah, it's <laughs> you like know, by the car, you know, run around to traffic in the dark. Right, and if people are interested in listening, then it's you can't yell at people into this. Yeah, <clears throat> so. Yeah, it's been an honor for me to get to know a number of people that, with whom I have profound differences, you know, biblically, theologically, and ecclesiologically, that I love them and am and, and touched by their character. Right. And very, um, so that's, that's been sad to have to watch them go through this. But you're not. You're, what's cool is that you're engaging people who have been hurt by a religious establishment with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. You, you're a Christian. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> through I mean, through. You're a gospel-centered believer. <laughs> right. None of us are perfect. <laughs> but again, you're one of those guys that, that is trustworthy because you're, you're not afraid to put your flaws in Well, I don't... This is, all I, this is all I have in life is my relationship with Jesus. I don't really have anything else going on. Right. You know, of any consequence. You know. <laughs> right. And it's like, you know, so for me to be consistent... You know, I'm obligated. You know, to you know, this this project around Driscoll for me was a very personal calling in the sense that I don't use the word calling a lot because usually it's people that get paid more that use that word. You know, right. they're profess- you know paid to be Christians. Right. They're like they use they like the word calling. You know, they're called, right. and then of course everybody's kind of called. You know, yeah. but uh, I, so I never use that language. But when explaining my behavior. To people and to myself, I figured like, why am I doing this? You know, there's nothing really in it for me. Uh, people think there's a book, but this book is not going anywhere because nobody's endorsed. I can't get. You know, I mean, it's like I'm, famous. I'm certainly not rich. I spent more money on the book than I have, I'll ever make, probably. But so that is a misnomer. Um, it just looks that way to people who've never had a book. I've had six books. Right. You know, this is the least you know visible one that I've ever done. Right. Because they don't have the resources to make it visible. So the point is, it was something I felt drawn and compelled. So I like the word compelled. I felt pulled by the spirit to do this project. So in that sense, uh, I just blame you know person. I said I don't know. Ask Jesus. It was his idea. Right. Which is unbelievable to people. Right. Jesus would do this people. But it's not that unbelievable. No, you look at his life. Not. You look at his life. But it's not that unbelievable. Let's just say they don't think people like Driscoll. If you have a big church, you're not supposed to do that to people. You're supposed to do. Do it to little people. Right. No. 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 Oh. King David went after, I mean, uh, uh, Nathan went after David. Yeah. Right. 
prophets always went after the big people. Yeah, and the religious establishment in the Gospels, I mean, those yeah, cats absolutely. are the villain of the story. Absolutely. Like these, these yeah. guys who were, you know, so disciplined were, were the ones that killed Jesus, you know. Well, and also Jesus really was going after the system. You know, and Christians, evangelicals particularly, have almost no appreciating for systemic sin. We just have this whole personal sin thing like, oh, that's immoral, or don't have that thought, or don't do that. Right. Like, what about all this crap we've created? You know, like, like religion itself is basically hijacked Jesus. Right. Where, where do you ever hear, in, in, from Jesus' own words, where do you ever get any indication that he was looking forward to 2015 when Christianity would be the biggest thing in the world? Like, where, where do you, there's nothing to imply from his thing that this thing we call Christianity is legitimate. Right. You know, there's nothing. There's nothing biblically legitimate about Christianity. Right. It's a thing we've created. It's religion. Yeah. You know, and the followers of Jesus went into the religion business. It was the wrong business. Jesus isn't coming back soon. This thing's so screwed up. <laughs> it's going to take thousands of years for somebody to try and get it right. That's right. It's just impossible that that this would be it. This is the bride of Christ. You can sit and paint, put the lipstick on a pig. You know, and that's all we do by saying those kinds of inappropriate things about, you know, God loves his church, the sister's a whore, but I love her. Like, those are just excuses for lame-ass behavior on our part. Bad leadership, irresponsible behavior on the part of leaders. You know, we we are we're uninteresting. You know, we're, we're out of sync with the larger story of humanity. Because we're so damn busy taking care of ourselves. That's you right. Know, and our Keeping order. <laughs> yeah, it's like this is the big thing. You know, this cannot be the big thing. I no. will not devote my life to this. Right. You know, of course, there's a lot of good people. There's a lot of good people who are screwed up. Driscoll's not a bad person. He's screwed up. You know, but there's a lot of Christians that are just like him. They're just lying and hiding. You know, yeah. about who they really are. Tell the freaking truth about yourself. Exactly. You know, and let's start something new where we're honest, you know, and we're, there's a, re- we don't have to tell people it's good news, they can see it. That's right. Oh, this is, that was good news, by the way. Oh, really? Thanks for telling me. <laughs> That's right. Good news is just good news. Like, That's what I tell people, I too. I don't have to, like, you know, con you into seeing that it's good news. Like, it's just good like news. Like, as an addict, when you discovered, like, there might be a way out, you know, it would come, of course, with a very high price. Right. You know, telling the truth. Yeah. And you started oh, believing. Yeah. And you thought to yourself two things. That would be good. And you also thought, God, can I do that? that so that's going to have consequences. Good news comes at a price. Yeah. So, so it isn't like we say, well, it's free. It's like, no. No. It's free. Yeah. But it's good because inside your human heart, you can detect, like, I need to be free. Yeah. And so I am willing to try and pay this price. That's right. So that's, that's what I consider good news. That's what Jesus said, beyond the consequences. Yeah. is the freedom it's, it's in the heart Absolutely. you know yeah. carrying our cross and, and, right. and following him like that seems incredibly difficult we think that that's this hugely burdensome thing but what he's actually saying is no your burdens are too heavy already dude well, the ones like, he said my yoke is easy yeah. right so meaning you can put this thing on and you'll find rest so yeah you'll find rest and being honest I'm going to be you know I'm going to find a place of rest because I can it is it comes through being honest Transparent, vulnerable, right. and open not only with God but with someone else. You know, it doesn't have to be the whole world. Some people, you know, but but tell somebody. That's right. Tell somebody and get that get that that yoke of iron off your head and put on Jesus' yoke. It's just a, it's just it, we're made for it. We're not made for this yoke of iron thing. Right. We're not. 
No, we're that's not. Why we're running around being secret all the time, trying to just right. get dope in us that'll help us sustain it. And you're so right about the word Christianity and how it's been turned into the new, you know, Sadducees and, <laughs> and the Pharisees message that's out there. I wanted to share with you a story, actually. Uh, Matt Chandler of the Village Church. He, he was Who's having his own this. difficulties now. He's having his own, that's right. But I love this story that he shared. He said, uh, the in the University of Texas, there's this guy named uh, James Pennebaker, and he did a, a study uh, from a psychological and phil- physiological level um, on the health benefits of confession. Mm-hmm. Like living a secret life is not just bad for your well-being, you know, because you have to put up this huge facade that you hope people don't break through, but it's also bad for your your health, you know? Yeah. It gets into your body. Right. It gets into our... raises our stress levels, which attack our, you know, our body. Exactly. And, uh... Yeah, I, totally <laughs> I think that's what the root of bitterness in Hebrews 12 talks about, is, you know, you know, you know, we let our, allow ourselves to be bitter and bittered. Like, like, uh, to, you know, like, I tell people about Driscoll. Like, he, I don't even know if he knows I exist. I have no idea. But I've made friends with people like him that I've outed before. I, I have right. personal friends that I've outed right. who burned me so bad. I went right after them and just sat down and said, "I'm never talk to you again until you get help." You know, right. I never expected them to get help. I really didn't. I, I didn't think they valued me enough to do that. Turned out, this one one person did. Got help. Came back, said, "I'm getting help." I said, "Great." And he said, "And I said, let's hang out." You know? right. And he said, "No, I want to come to your church, and I want to get right with people." So you don't have to do that. I didn't make that a requirement. Right. Let's just let's hang out. He said, "No, I'm going to come to your church. I'm going to make." And he had burned all these people, so he right. sat for the next year. He just went one by one and told people, you know, apologized, and, and you know, it'd be like Driscoll going back to the, you know, there's at least a hundred people that. Are loyal to him today that he, he should sit down he and could talk sh- to him. exactly. <laughs> they wouldn't say, hurt him. Hey, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, they would freaking write in checks, right? Still, and so, um, um, I tell people, you know, when, when that day comes with him, I expect to be friends with Crystal because he's not going to have any friends, right? As you know, in this world of addicts, you know, once you burn so many people, you know, finding new friends becomes very difficult. So, yeah, but I, you can find surfacey friends. Oh, like yeah, some of, of these cats who are hiring him to speak. Oh, it's like these—they don't know him in here. He's, they may know him. his his own people. These are not. If, if you were raised in the church, you understand. There's like there's like crazy people like us, and then there's the, the normal people who have jobs yeah. and like go to work and they write checks and they're very they kind of keeping the church going is everything. Yeah. It's those people now that inner core right. they're flipping on Driscoll and going after him. And when you get those people on your case, they're like bulldogs. Right. You know, they're not like oh screw you. You know, they're like no, I'm going to take you out. You know, and because you're really, really, really dangerous. Right. And those are the people that are turning on him now. Right. And I would not at all be uh, uh, surprised to see racketeering charges. I would not at all because if these people have money and influence, they hire the right lawyers, which is how it works in America. Right. And there's also that going on. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lawsuit it, just because it's out. quiet right now doesn't mean it's going to stay quiet. You right. know, it could emerge in a year, and he could be in jail. Yeah. Which is just bizarre. And to he think just about. needs to open up. And it's right. just like some of these sexual cases. But sometimes open. guys have to get thrown in jail, right? Yeah, they, they do. Actually, the lights go exactly. On. And you think, dude. So we may be dealing with that. Like Mark may needs to work at a car dealership for a few years, you know. Yeah, I'm sure nothing wrong. Successful. Somebody should have him. What could he sell? That's right. He's a marketer, dude. That's right. He's a brilliant marketer. One of the things I didn't, I did kind of go on the blogs and and, and I, I said some stuff against the protests, and, and only for this reason, Jim. I 
said that if I'm part of Mark's team, I like the protests mm-hmm. because they raise this kind of mm-hmm. controversy. It's like, oh, we if we hire this cat. Maybe there'll be protesters in our church too. Yeah. And sadly, there's some people that really see that as an attractive. Well, yeah, from as a marketing perspective, yeah. yes. We'll get on the news. Is there no oh, bad clearly. press? Is that exactly <laughs> clearly? But what he didn't know is that you know we've been at this a long time. There was there was actually tactical and strategic thinking going on about because because when I did my first protest uh, with one other guy in 2006. Right. And the people that were standing opposite us at that point, that would be like Brian Jacobson, Rob Smith, Paul Petrie, all those people were opposite us, you know, defending Driscoll at that point. It took seven more years before they came and said, to the help us organize a second protest, right? right? So when you get the insiders turned, it changes the game because they are cultural elites inside that system. So so I could be, I could be mocked and, like, you know, dismissed. You know, it's just a guy trying to get, uh, using Driscoll to get PR for myself or whatever. But when they turn on him, they can't, they have credibility internally. So right. we knew that all the time. And that's why he was out six weeks later. And that's why his church was gone within three months. Right. Framing. Right. When you, when you tilt, when you, you know, you can actually Because people start, part of it was the New York Times bestseller thing. Like, that when was that story broke, <laughs> like, here, here, because for me, like, but he wasn't I, I doing anything different stuff. than John Maxwell's people had done. Right. Those people have, and it's not even illegal. It's unethical. No, it is. So what happened was a constellation of things occurred, you know, where he was suddenly, his, his character was being questioned, enough information, then that came and that helped tilt the dominoes against him. Right. So really he had not done anything different, but he couldn't play that card. Right. He couldn't say, because really there were a series of other things going on. It's like politics. He's totally a politician. Yeah. And it was yeah. just tilted against him. And, and, and all the secrets started to bounce exactly. out of the closet. So And then key people started, you know, when Matt Matt Chandler and Axman Knight oh, yeah. you know, kicking him out of the movie. Out of started. his own it's like Steve Jobs getting fired from Apple, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's that kind of drama that's happening in public that I always knew that that uh, I always wanted to get these stories played. I was working very hard to get these stories placed in public. I mean, I'm on the phone. I'm calling people. I know all that stuff happened. wasn't by accident. Right. Was, none of that happened by accident. Right. It was all us working together to p- place stories to make things happen. So the, the thing for me, I guess, what the what the protest was that Mark's edginess, I always figured, was going right. to yes. those people are going to be right. They're right. they're going to not like him and so I didn't pay attention that much but then when that story broke about the you know the that's, what got through myself, you. that's what got through to me that right. was my deal right. and that as a thinker and also as a person who's dealt with people with secret stubborn sins Absolutely. like this this was an organized thing that right. happened in the dark over many months right. and these guys decided to make this happen. yeah well, his mistake was using church money yeah right? I, 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 I certainly had that kind of money himself he should have just taken care of it separately. Right. Right. Then it'd be like, that's weird. Well, I still think it's a, it's, it's just completely weird. Yes. <laughs> but, but he doubled down, right? Right. By betting the church bet on it. If I'm the New York Times, I have a certain integrity to what books should be on the list and what books shouldn't. And these guys they are kind of like all hackers. The time, yeah, they get they're played like, all the time. <laughs> like There's hackers. There's a way to play him. Right. Like they're after the system. Yeah, they get, that's how you, you hack your way into the New York Times bestselling list most, right. of the time, most of the time. But that's when I that's when I learned about you. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I need to go know what's going on because we're not getting the truth from these guys. Yeah. They're just lying and they're continuing to lie. Unbelievable that they would lie as Christians as like yeah. overtly lie dude. <laughs> not just right. even subtly. Yeah. Like lying. Oh yeah. Cover up big time. Yeah. Christians. Oh yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
because we're all busted, messed up. Yeah. And I love the and I love the comeback story. Like I pray that this guy does actually, like you said, sit down with a hundred people he needs to sit down with and actually it's apologize it's to take them. Take a few years, but he needs a few years off. Yeah, he does. But I think he's personally done in ministry. I, I don't. I think he's too much of an addict to function right. in public. I really do. I don't. Yeah. That has nothing to do with like you and I sitting down. He could help a lot of people find Jesus and all that stuff. But but he doesn't need to do it in public. He's done. Right. He's basically he's 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 irreparable in my. And life. even if he does do it publicly, it needs to be different than what he preached. Like I watched what he preached in in Mill Creek, and it was just kind of the same old Driscoll-esque stuff. Right. That you you haven't learned from that. Like if I'm if I'm a thinker sitting watching and listening to that, it's like you're. You don't believe it, right? That's right. Like he needs to get to a place, kind of like Paul Young did, where you're going, okay, now I believe it and here's why. Yeah. (laughs) You know? It's no longer this, you know, I mean, the the story with McKenzie, how Mm -hmm. he kind of had that kind of religion that he knew about, right? He went to church, he had his Christian friends, but it wasn't real to him. That's right. It's going to be, if if Driscoll goes public again and is accepted publicly, it's because it's real. Oh, well, he would have an awesome story, wouldn't he? He would. I, I, I just can't see it happening. I know. I know. But maybe he will. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> it, it could happen. It, it could happen. Sometime. I hope it does, man. I do. I, I would love that story. I've just seen story. so few of guys. I like have him. to. I've seen oh, so few. True. I and mean, what you're talking about with uh, with going after folks, it's like I've been brought into situations, Jim, that are like, oh my god, and they'll swear me to secrecy before I even talk to them. Right. Right. <laughs> And some of these stories are just like, oh my! God. I'll give you a case study, all right? This, well, you I, must I, get I maybe, in, you must get on the edge here with uh, child protective services issues, and oh yeah, you must. Get, you must and see, that's another one is um, when somebody in the church is accused of molesting a child. Right. That's something we need to take seriously. Absolutely. Now, as right the, now, as in the Dugers. Well, there's a, there's a bunch of them. But see, and, and, and it could be you know ninety percent of the cases when something like that is accused, it's real. So Absolutely. there's the ten percent little sliver to hear that. that everybody yeah right there's that ten percent little sliver that everybody's like well we don't really know for sure do we really need to involve the police and and all that and it gets into these murky and and sadly a lot of this stuff isn't reported because it would look bad on the church yeah it would look bad oh what's our reputation going to do the Catholics. We criticize, uh, yeah, exactly. we criticize the Catholics. Yeah. Think of the hypocrisy. And then we hide it. <laughs> That's right. It's so fake. It is. It's bad. Imagine Jesus being associated with that foolishness. It's oh, just man. impossible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, a situation where, you know, a guy, um, kind of a case study, a guy contacts someone like me, right? And he says, uh, he says, "Well, you know, we have this blogger who's so, so I don't I don't like the blogger who's you know putting out un, untrue stuff, and so that's kind of what this guy says. He's making accusations against the church that are that are not true, and he says, I, you know, I'm a pretty open guy, and I'm I'm not afraid to talk about my stuff. So this guy, you know, 50 years old, divorces his 50 year old wife, and marries a 24 year old, you know, hot." Hot blonde, and and people in the church have an issue with that. Oh, so and then he's calling someone like myself. I'm not going to say it was me. No, <laughs> could be somebody else. That right, but it's like, how do we do damage control to stop something like this from happening? You can resign. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you're not going to like my answer, dude. You're not going to like my answer. What's your wife's phone number? <laughs> She's my Christian sister. 
you know? Like these cats, they don't like that. I was like, oh, so, and I never hear from these people. Right. And there's so many of those stories that are that are just in the dark, and I and I'm not supposed to talk about because hey, you know, we've got lawyers and stuff. So yeah, I feel you, dude, and that's why I love your book because it is so incredibly. Important. Well, I, I appreciate your. So you 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 do this work, I assume, partially for yourself to stay honest and these. You, you get drawn into these other people's issues, and, and there's there's something spiritually in it for you. Yeah, it helps you stay. Yeah, stay close to Jesus. It's right? my calling. <laughs> right, but it's no, but, you, it, but it is. It does. Jesus, it right? does. It yeah. keeps me. It keeps me honest. It keeps me grounded. Yeah, and I don't. I don't have to because I'm an easy faker. Yeah. I could easily sink into going back to being in the business world and just being that salesman kind yeah. of guy. Yeah. And there's a so if if if, if I'm to be honest about the, the personal selfishness in in the ministry that I run, it's part of it is yeah, man, I I stay cognizantly grounded Absolutely. in what I'm what I'm thinking. Because you're hearing these um, stories, and, and you have to, you know, be thinking to yourself, like, "Wow, either yeah. that's where I could have ended up, or if I don't, I could still end up here." It keeps you honest. Yeah, and it keeps me preaching the message right, of, right. of "Don't put right. your skeletons in the dark; they're going to leave." Scripture right. says that right. your your sins will find you out right. eventually, right. and that's that's the message I want to blare from the mountaintops yeah. because it is so important. And and just like your book says, it is uh, it is affected. Christian culture to where the the world, the people that need Jesus the most are, are having a hard time trusting it. Yeah. That's why you get these seeker movements out there. They're so popular because we don't like church. We don't like Christians. We're, we have such a hard time, you know, going to approach a place like that because it just seems so fake. Right. You know? Hollister's a song, there's a song by Hollister called Take Me to Church. Oh. I don't know if you've heard it. It's uh -huh. been on the Billboard charts for over a year. And that's one of the things he says in the in the song is that, you know, um, I'll confess my sins as you sharpen your knife, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we, you know, the world, the people, you're not, you're not fooling anyone. No, no, they see us coming. They, we've been very successful. We've been, I guess people would say we're blessed that uh, we've had a chance to really market ourselves. Right. You know, and um, so there's, it's pretty, pretty, pretty blatant at this point. Right. Uh, that how we're perceived. You know, much of the work I've done in the last 15 years has been to help Christians understand how we're perceived by the people we say we're trying to reach. Right. And, and you know, suggest ways of actually maybe adapting or changing so that we can right. be taken seriously. Chapter 3, you go into some of your theology, which I, right. I really like. You you start to talk about what what theologians would call uh, propitiatory atonement. Right, right. Right? Like, right. Uh, and, and for some people... I'm kind of thinking out loud, yeah. learning from you as I say this, but I think that there's some people that just have that kind of bookie engineer brain that see the cross as as Jesus is like a like a defense attorney mm -hmm. that went ahead and paid the debt. So like you don't have to have a relationship with him, <laughs> right? right. Your, your sins are covered yeah, we're for good. the rest of your life, covered by your, the, his blood. So don't worry about anything anymore. Right. But you you talk a lot about that in in chapter three, which I really like. Well, it's important because uh, we have uh, framing stories that we've inherited. Right. When I talk about Jesus dying on the cross. 
for your sins. You, you probably grew up hearing that, and your deal was to accept him as your personal savior, yeah. and you won't go to hell. Pretty right. much, you go to heaven, you know, then you, hell would not be a good place to go. Right, and that's so, that surfacing kind of salesman thing, well, too. Well, it's a deal, we it? understand. It's a culture. deal. It's it a is, consumer yeah. deal. It, it grew out of, really, it's a, it's a theory of the, the cross, uh, of which is five. It's one of the theories that holds sway today. And because we're ahistorical, we don't have, meaning we have very little interest in what's happened before us. Right. And it's one of the reasons we don't own the impact of slavery, of, of, of kidnapping millions right. of people. The, the, for example, the United States would not be in existence today in the form it's in had we not kidnapped millions of Africans and forced them to work for free right. and, and decimated their families and now we're inheriting the outcome of that but of course we don't want to own that clearly like the idea of reparations or anything like that or admitting it clearly we're not there all right, right. All right so that's a systemic that, that's a framing story of our country and we've inherited a framing story about being Christian which is essentially around a deal and men particularly like this, right? It's distant, it's not, it's not really relational, it's a, it's a transaction. Okay, okay, I'll tell you, I'm sorry, you know, I get it. Okay, we're good. So, uh, and it's it's minimized and it's an insult to the, it's, it's, it's reduced the gospel down to this, this transaction. And that's what's at the heart of the atonement, which is the organizing story that, and, and that story necessitates people to tell it. And it particularly necessitates people that are more like engineers or teachers or analysts and orators. And so the church has become a place where we we uh, call pastor, we call an order a pastor. Like if you talk, right. you're my pastor, right? What you and I are doing is actually pastoring each right. other. This is, this is pastoring. Yeah. Right? And I don't need to explain that to you. We just know that's true. Yeah, yeah. The, the thing where the person stands on a platform and talks is maybe pastoring, it, but most likely it's not. It's it's informing people. It's it's inspiring them. It's motivating them. It's you know exciting them. It's like giving them info. Yeah. It's not pastoring people, but yeah, we we've, we've reduced it to that. Right. And so then we require people to like that. So then oh, yeah. once you require orators, and then the more gifted ones get the larger checks and the larger churches. So people like Driscoll emerge. And once you've opened the door to that, you've opened the door to narcissists. And once you've opened the door to narcissists, you've opened the door to bullies. Right. Right? And so that's so, some of the sociology behind absolutely. That building a show. Absolutely. It's yes. become like theater. Very much so. And, and of course, we, we, we all want that. Even small churches are trying to be like yeah, big churches. Yeah. And so the system is rife with uh, brokenness. And so all we do is suggest in the book is switching the, the framing story. What if we switch a framing story from a deal to the incarnation, which is about life? Right. So the incarnation isn't, doesn't need a theory. It's just hard to do. Right. right. It means being honest. It means being present. It means living in the uncertainty of being human. Right. It means owning that. It means hiding myself. It means, it means not using power to manipulate. It means... I'm, I'm, I'm here with you. Jesus hid himself, right? Philippians chapter 2. He took in the form of a servant and, and even to the death of the cross. So the cross right. becomes the ultimate expression of I'm incarnating myself. It's not vice versa. Right. It isn't like here's the cross and, and maybe you'll get to the incarnation later. Right. You don't get to it, right? <laughs> right. And uh, so the cross is a follow-on of the incarnation. So for people that are interested in why we do this, why we attract, why do we need people like Driscoll, why do bullies show up? It's because we're orienting our story around something they're skilled at. Yeah. And we pay them for it. Yeah. And that's, so I think that, you know, for, 
for people looking for foundational rationales other than like, oh, he's mean or we're stupid or whatever. No, there's a we're creating a we're seeding the seedbed of this thing is structured so that people like Driscoll will emerge in it. Right, and that needs and, and I'm not totally against that as long as that guy's held accountable because he is gifted and and I think the only way he can be held accountable is. Um, a couple of different ways. There's all these like personality tests. Like people have kind of geeked out of that on that for a few years. Mm-hmm. But there's some there's some real good well, stuff well, to it. Yeah, like, like Doug Nearon, my co-author, is really big on 360 evaluation. He said no right. readers beyond being evaluated. Right. So Doug addresses this in the book from his own perspective as a mega church leader about how he escaped some of what Driscoll got. Right. About. You build a mosaic mm-hmm. of uh, of different mm-hmm. hearts and minds who aren't faking. Mm-hmm. But I think that's part of what Driscoll did. And I don't know, right? I mean, maybe you probably know more about this than I do. But he did surround himself with, with yes men. Some of the people that called him out, like Paul, Paul Petrie, uh, Meyer, uh, from what I've heard. Right, these sure. guys didn't, like, hey, we want to kind of, we, we love you. We want to hold you accountable, dude. You know? No, they and then the boom. They, yeah, they got aced. So yeah. it's just like Stalin, right? You kill the people closest to you. You know, it's like dictators do this kind of stuff. Yeah. You just kill the people eventually. Like, you know, that they're standing next to you and you got out, you got rid of them. So that's what he did with Paul and, and Ben Meyer and these other guys. But, um, no, th- th- again, you have to think systemically. This isn't just about, we, we've all been part of something like this. When you talk about you scratching out, you find a codependent, right? Right. So you, this, is, this is a dance between a group of people. And I've been part of these dances. Right. You know, I've been in churches like this, and uh, and that's what caused me to be able to see this dance that was going on. And <clears throat> so, yeah, they were yes men, but they were also dependent on him. And also, when you're a 30-year-old kid, and somebody walks in and says, I'll pay you $75,000 a year to run a projector pastor venue. Right. That's, I always said yes. That's a good deal, yeah. I'll, I'll say yes. I mean, flip the switch, and then I'll act like a pastor and send him praise the Lord and everything. What do I know anyway? I'm 30. I don't know anything. All right. So sorry for everybody who's 30 listening to this. That's <laughs> true. You know, um, but it's the money. The money part of it is is powerful because oh, it becomes powerful. your livelihood. And so successful business people got around Driscoll to help fund this operation because right. they love being around success. And they're not the sharpest knives in the drawer intellectually. No, no offense. Right. They're just like, wow, it's succeeding. It must be good. You know, it's good. And, and, um, that's just the dance. It isn't the first rodeo, dude. I mean, this is what happened it's in Overlake. It was, it's what happened in other churches in Seattle over the years. Right. It's just another version of that. Yeah. I'm sorry but, to tell but this, but this is a different day and age, I think, of totally. what we're seeing here with, with what happened with Mars Hill is because the Internet has hello proliferated. Like, it's all it's all out there. Like, Driscoll grew as a megachurch pastor here, which attracted so much attention from outside Absolutely. in the United States Absolutely. and Europe. Why does anybody in Austria care about Mark Driscoll? Right? Yeah, Why? because Seattle wasn't the churchiest place in the world. Exactly. And here this guy grew a thriving, right. growing... person church. Exactly. Right. Ministry, so that brought a lot of attention. And then, so his failure... Here wasn't even it was like they don't even know ripple about effect. No, and they don't yeah. even know. They just know they know his name. So he was right. very effective. So one of the reasons that I wanted to go after him in public is because he chose to be very public. And and in this day and age, um, you get to like take people on. And my platform to him it can't even be compared. Yeah. And and so yes, with the internet, the rules change. It's un inarguable. 
that yeah. the internet has changed the rules. From what used to be, for like 4,000 years, the chief form of leadership has been the feral model. I'm at top, you're there, I, I give right. my orders. That's called oligarchy, right? Right. And so, so when you see these these uprisings like the Arab Spring and different things going on around the world, you you realize, you know, something's happening that's different, right? right. I mean, it doesn't always happen right at that time, but there's these, these ripples in effect. And so, with the internet, something called polyarchy is happening. That is, people have a voice. So that's where the book, the wisdom of the crowds, comes in. You know, and all that that kind of stuff. Right. It's being written about now. It's because you see people a voice. in the Middle East trying to shut down Twitter, for right. example. Right, you can see China's controlling. You oh yeah, to hire thousands and hundreds of thousands. I mean, eventually it's going to. We all know it's going to break down. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. that's what. Yeah, the internet is clearly the the game changer that has given uh, you know people a place to express themselves. And then when those people organize and focus. And they just do practice something I call co-belligerating, where you temporarily suspend judgment. You and I could still have discussions about Driscoll and disagree, but we, we temporarily suspend judgment, say, well, there's a larger problem to solve here at first. Right. Let's get rid of him, and then we can decide how we're going to approach him. Right. right? Th that's fine. Exactly. But we temporarily suspend judgment. Right. You know, and and work together. <clears throat> that's what happened. That's the only reason Driscoll's out, is because outsiders and insiders temporarily aligned right. their interests. And went after him together. Yeah, and in rather than, and it's kind of like if we go back to the issue with what we're talking about here is how bullies grow in the dark, Absolutely. like mold, right? Great or like a rat infestation. That's right. And and something you said in the book that I thought was really powerful <laughs> is that spiritual pride is more dangerous than sexual immorality. immorality yes. And I totally agree. Well, and it's kind of like if we why go do you back agree? To, you work in the area of sexual immorality. Exactly. Why do you and I've agree? Seen, and I've no, seen, no, why do you agree with that? Why do what I agree? Because yeah, all, all of the maybe disagreement that I had towards you a few years ago, I'm saying like, wow, like, you know, just like you were saying, I had no idea like this stuff was going on because I was naive to the, the church construct you know, I just thought, oh well, he's got the Holy Spirit. Look at the church and it's growing like crazy. You know, so I had that kind of attitude. But if we look back, and here's here's why I think that's so powerful. Um, and I'm I'm going to go back to the pedophile example. But if we <laughs> but if we go back in time to to when when Paul Petrie and Bent Meyer yeah. and, and Rob Smith were all going, all right, we need to keep this guy accountable. Mm -hmm. And rather than the whole so there was a bunch of guys that decided that those two guys three guys should be fired 2007 right yeah 2007 mm -hmm. 2007 mm -hmm. so it's kind of like that guy who gets the hey this guy might you know somebody was touched inappropriately mm -hmm. and they're exactly. so afraid to pick up the phone and call the cops exactly. they're so afraid to keep this guy accountable um, should Driscoll have been fired in 2007? Yes. Probably. Yes. If they really were going to hold the line yes. on holding this guy accountable, they would have had to have him removed. But these and like you're saying, need large amounts of money while they're firing this guy. And exactly, where's right. that money going to come from then? Exactly. Exactly. That's the system that's broken, isn't it? That shows the the leaven of the Pharisees yeah. in the yeah. 2007 right. Right. Christian church. Right. Right. Because yeah. if we out if we fire Driscoll, then we don't have a church. They probably yeah. think and we don't. Yeah. It would have ended. Yeah, it wasn't all about That's Jesus. The, no, <laughs> but it was about an orator. So we reward orators. Is, 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 did Jesus did Jesus envision a church where 
the people that were the most gifted motivational speakers would be his leaders. Is that really why? Is that and if so, where do you see that model in the twelve apostles, the disciples that he chose? Right. You know, Jesus spent the smallest amount of time with the fewest number of people. Here's here's how Jesus spent his time: <clears throat> three, twelve, seventy-two, one hundred, twenty-five hundred. So that means these are the groups Jesus spent time with, right? Right. And and so he spent the largest amount of time with three people, right? And then more time with twelve. And then 72 is what he, a weekend seminar. Right, okay. yeah, that's right. 20, he wasn't there. Somebody else was talking about him. The Holy Spirit. <laughs> 500, he shows up. It's a big deal. And, and it's just where he appears after his resurrection, right? Right. So um, we train people to prepare. We reward people based on the largest number of people that can sit opposite them on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock in a building. The more people that are doing that, then you get larger amounts of money because that means you're an, you're an effective orator. You're also a pastor, and then you work backwards. And those people rarely spend any time with three people in their life. Right? They rarely spend it. That's I what Craig Gross's whole thing is with exactly. the, with the open. Like he wrote this book, Open, and, and X3 software mm-hmm. is based on three accountability partners. Okay. Now, if those accountability partners are just some shallow relationship with some dude who's going to step out on the field with a yellow flag every time you right. screw up, exactly. that's not going to work. Exactly. You have people that love you and right. say, "Hey, we want to see your family grow and thrive." So you right. need to, you know, right. we, we want to be after you with a porno. You know, right. just. To, just to, it's not a morality thing. Right. It's a walking with brothers. And if right. you don't have those three people, yeah. even as a pastor, I don't right. Driscoll Absolutely. still uh, doesn't have those three oh, people. Oh, no, clearly he doesn't have those people in his life. Clearly. Uh. The ones, they're lying to him. The guys that are old my age, they covered him up because they want to protect the rock stars. Why didn't John Piper go after him? Why didn't Rick Warren go after yeah. him? Why didn't Tim Keller go after him? Why? Why? Too, too disconnected from the system or trying to keep the system running because they're part of that system. It's like star. the Matrix, right? Yes. <laughs> they're all part Which of is that. like child pedophiles. Not that I want to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> or Hitler or right. rats infestation. <laughs> they go with the Matrix thing. What, That's the, right. What's it That's like the, the Matrix? Because the, 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 they, they're the big Are you deal. saying that because you're bald? <laughs> yeah, I'm like the, the Morpheus of the story. Oh, man. Sometimes I... I, I feel like I'm either you know, Morpheus or Neo, or I'm the I'm the I'm the expendable henchman that got shot in the first scene. Or so, um, but yeah, that's so true. I think that they, I think that those guys protected him because they don't want to show the cracks in the system. Maybe right? Yeah, they're invested. And they're there's something to that. They don't know. Yeah, you can't pick on everybody, you know. Right. But when you start having, like, credible people that are your friends calling you and saying, yeah. like, really? Like, seriously? Yeah. You know, at some point, somebody's got to be able to break through to you. Right. And you have to risk your public identity. None of these guys sufficiently risk their public identity. And right. they should have cared about him as a young leader. Why right. didn't they care about him enough as a young leader to call him out in public? Exactly, because you might have to fire him. It's like Joe Paterno. Yes, exactly. You know? It's like right. Joe Paterno. Right. He should have been fired and reported to the right. first, but the guy wins football games. Right. Right. So what are we going to do? We're going to fire this guy? Can you imagine, you Jesus, can you imagine <laughs> Jesus caring about that as our standard? Yeah. Can you? Who who out there can defend this behavior? With that, you imagine Jesus sitting around thinking, "Wow, he's going to get a lot of people in front of him. We better keep this thing rolling." Yeah, I mean, that's so antithetical no. to why we follow Jesus. I don't know where to begin yeah. to like you know break it down. 
Uh, and that's what's wrong with what we've created and why we're a cartoon to the larger culture. Yeah. As long as you keep falling back in that argument that Christians are doing good things, you're going to get nowhere. Uh, like, this is a war. You know? Yeah, it is. And you don't have the luxury of saying, saying, well, we're not bad all the time. Okay, good for you. While you're dying, you know, <laughs> right. while you're dying, yeah. you're, you're losing influence, you're losing credibility. You know, why don't you just simply own it and say, we suck, yeah. you know, and let's start from that part. And why don't we go to the people that say we suck and ask them, why do we suck? Yeah. You know, tell me why we suck and I'll try and get better. Right. That'd be great. I've right. talked to these people. They're more than willing to tell us why we suck. And actually, they're pretty nice about it. That's right. They're pretty nice about it when you when you give them the microphone. Yeah. yeah. You know? And I love the story of the guy who's constantly in the light. He might not have the biggest church in the world. That's part of the, the church I go to now. Yeah. Small little church. Right. The guy doesn't stand up there every Sunday and, and, and hip hip rah rah on how right. great the Christian <laughs> life is right. or how great he is. But he's willing to say, hey, I'm broken. There's a cross here. You know, we don't point at it and say, you better get right. We say, come on in here. There's room, you know. Exactly. There's room to be in front of Jesus. There's room to be broken. There's why, room to why, be... why can you go to an AA meeting and know you're safe and go to church and, and not think you're going to be safe? <laughs> because it's... It's, you can't be vulnerable, right? It's the vulnerability. Can, can you imagine Jesus approving of that plan? Yeah, no. Like, after all he did and the way he lived his life and the way he opened himself up and poured himself out, and I'm not talking about dying on the cross for your sins. I mean, as a person, as God, God did this to say to us, this is like this is like what it looks like to lose your life so you'll find it. You know? Yeah. So this, you forget it, but I mean, you know... We we focus so much. We turn the cross into a freaking icon, like yeah. it's this thing, this weird thing that doesn't. People make this big dramatic statement about, you know, it's like having a Madonna and a whore. You know, that guy's like Madonna's and whores. Like, right. like that's some woman I treat like the Virgin Mary. Another one I just screw him. It's like whatever, you know. Right. And so it's we like do that. With, we do that with Christians, with Jesus. Like, yeah. You know, Jesus lived a life to invite us to freedom. I follow Jesus because he's the freest person who ever lived. He didn't take a vote about his life. Who, who wouldn't like to live that life? Like, I, I, you know, like, I'm sorry if I disappoint you, but I'm me. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's right. How we can work things out, but if we can't, hey. You know, yeah, that's the who, self. Who wouldn't want that? That's right. Every that's the Imago Day part yeah. that we miss. Right. And that a lot of. Every human being would hear that as good news. And it's very hard work to stay in that place. Mm-hmm. Right? You need Jesus. You need God's power. You need to be in a vibrant relationship with God to actually practice that. That's so right. we've belittled and demeaned it into this dumb set of rituals and religious life. You think God's sitting up there actually. If this God is running the universe, you know, he's sitting up there and noticing who has pointy hats on or who's kneeling properly, who's burning incense properly. Did you say this creed correctly? You know, he's actually keeping keeping track of this stupid stuff. That God, you know what, if that God's running things, which when we get the impression he is based on religion, when we get that, you could say that, then I'm going to be in that God's hell. I'm outing myself. I'm dead. I'm toast. Yeah. I'm going to be in that God's hell. Yeah. So I just I'm, I'm taking my chances that that God doesn't actually exist. That's so all. here I am. I'm thinking because I was raised in this kind of assemblies of God. Right. You know, look right. pretty on the outside, right. put on a good skin, so people don't know who you really are. Down. And so when when guys like Driscoll just kind of go out and blah, you know, that was attractive to me. Um, but again, it's the, the secrets thing. That, and it's a critical thing I think you bring up. Like, we in our show we say is we do it with Paul Young and 
uh, you know, a culture as sick as its secrets, you know. Right. Uh, well, hold, just before you go into that, uh, yeah. so it's it's uh, Where's God When? This yes. is like a tour you're doing yes. with yeah. Paul Young, the right. author of The Shack, right. Crossroads, right. and and some music. You're you're engaging people on on pain and loss. And Absolutely. Yeah. Where is God when it yeah. hurts? Yes. Which is a big one. So to address the issue of loss, that's universal. And so in the show, Paul basically tells secrets about himself in public. Right. right? There were things that were secrets that, you know, almost derailed his life completely. Um, and it's a history of secrecy, you know. And, right. um, and the, the um, you know, you ask the question, if you say you trust God, you have a relationship with God, you believe in God, you follow Jesus, etc. Why are you keeping secrets? You know, and why are you... Why are you doing that? Like, you know, isn't your relationship enough to help you not do that? So it's an invitation for people to reconsider, you know, what it means to follow Jesus, uh, whether they call themselves a believer or not a believer. And, but, and so I think that that for people that are paying attention to this issue in their own lives, you know, because we all have parts of Driscoll in us. I certainly do. Right. And it's like if I start pretend I don't, you know, that it's like, you know, he's the, the worst thing that ever happened. No, he's not the worst thing that ever happened. He's just, he's just unwilling to change right now. He's yeah. just another version of me, and he just doesn't want to admit he's screwed up. That's all. That's all right. that's wrong with him. Right. right? Um, and um, I think people need to hear that and know that that's the powerful, you know, the, the way out you know, is to find somebody. you got to find some per, a person, you know. To tell your secrets. To start to, yeah, have to start, start to open something. up. And then maybe you can get into a group and maybe you can tell the people around you. But yeah. it becomes your work. And that's recovery is the work of constantly having those people that what I call have walk in rights. Right. You know, like, you know, if we knew each other, like you could just, I could not see you for years. You could just say, well, what are you doing? Yeah. What about that thing? What's going on? How's that thing going? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I say, oh, yeah, okay, good point. Right. Uh, you know, we each need a few people like that in our life. So yeah. I think with the, with the work you're doing is critically important in helping people make that a part of, for Christians, we call it their discipleship. You think of the discipline it takes to do that. You right. Know, it's way harder than memorizing Bible verses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's actually applying it to your life. But I think the end of the story is what, what compels me and a lot of the the folks that I roll with, not that we have our own tribe, but just I think people that understand truth to the degree that... Um, You're talking now about the rat, rat infestation right, that group. Right, the rat infestation group. We <laughs> started a denomination. Well, we'd all join that one. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the rat rod denomination. Um, but... <clears throat> Yeah, it's it's just going to some of the basic bonehead common sense. Jesus is on a cross having a spike driven into his hand. Mm-hmm. Father, forgive them. Mm-hmm. They don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. That's something you said at your uh, the book launch. Mm-hmm. You said at the end of it. And there was a lot of different people there. It wasn't, just a, wasn't just a Christian it wasn't, crowd. Was it wasn't. <laughs> and you said that... When you come to my parties, you, you have to be careful because you don't know if the person next to you is saved or not. Right. And they, they may not be care- They may not be impressed if you are. Right, right. <laughs> and I love that. Give me a I reason love why. that crowd. You don't know who you're talking to. That's right. Yeah, I love that crowd. Anyway, cheers. but you said at the end of the at the end of the uh, your your talk, right. Right. Um, maybe we'll end the show on this too. You said that you are. Uh, I, I can't remember how you exactly worded it, but you said something to the effect of, "I put my hope in the fact that this God 
that we worship actually likes people. Right, exactly. Actually loves people. Right. Actually came into time and space and put on flesh and walked right. among us. Right. So if we like each other, right, like I, we could be, I could say I love you because I'm my brother in Christ. I could say I love you because you're, we're related by blood. But I may not like you. Right. Right? Yeah. I mean, I would actually, because liking me, I want to hang out. out with you. I want to, I'm curious. I take you seriously. You're fun. You're funny. I want to introduce you to people I know. I, I don't, when I'm anticipating meeting you, I'm not like, getting tired in my mind. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> something interesting is going to happen, right? That, uh, that imagine if, if, you know, this is the gospel to me. You know, the, the unique part of, of Jesus, why I follow Jesus and not Buddha and a bunch of other people, you know, they're all out there and doing their thing. Uh, I follow Jesus because I would like there to be a God who likes human beings. And no other religion offers that. It's a, it's a, it's a um, radical claim that we as Christians don't even offer people. Right. That is we don't God. cleanse ourselves. Right. So... So God likes human beings. Mm -hmm. And when a human being believes that, even in a moment, things change inside, right? They get hope. They think, wow, that would be good. Yeah. You know, that would be good. I wonder if it's true. Yeah. And, and they begin the process of opening up to the possibility that there's a God who likes them. And that they're children, maybe. Yes. Yeah. 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 So that's why I'm into that. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Jim, thanks again for being on the podcast. This was, uh, this was really good. We went a little bit over, but... Sorry, you can edit that part out. <laughs> That's all good. Thank you I for don't being do interested. a lot of editing. Thank you for being interested. Oh, I don't it's, it's, it's beautiful. much work to edit. Yes, there goes Jim Henderson. And uh, love that man. The book is Question Mark. I will have a link on the website. ASI247.org uh, should be right there on the homepage or in the book section, the bookstore section, depending on what place in time you're listening to this. Since this has been recorded, Mark Driscoll's been removed from a uh, conference tour this summer uh, from Hillsong Conferences. Uh, in the UK and in Australia. You know, again, this episode not just being about Mark Driscoll, but that last bumper I played leading out, beautiful tragedy there by uh, the band In This Moment. Um, it, it brings me back to my own, right, when my world started to crumble, so I thought. Like, everything I'd known, like my sins exposed in the light, I, you know, that was incredibly difficult. It was an incredibly difficult season. And there's a line in this bumper I'm going to lead out with that says, um, your world is not falling apart. It's falling into place. All right? This beautiful tragedy can be a, a rebirth. All right? It can be a, uh, a regeneration. And, and I pray that Mark, if he ever heard this, would see it that way, that he would get honest, that he would sit down and apologize with the people that he hurt deeply. 
Mark says he's apologized and, and you know, he did this public apology uh, for getting caught, basically. But making amends is something very different. And I've heard these stories of unrepented of, unresolved hurt and pain that the man caused. Um, I believe he's my Christian brother and I, I do love Mark Driscoll, but right now, after hearing these stories and the fact that he's not even raising a finger to make any of it right, um, I just don't like him very much right now. But I pray that as this story unfolds, that he would be brought to his knees in repentance and that a lot of us would learn from this lesson and know that we're, we're loved, know that there's grace for us, know that there's peace in the end, know that living our lives from the inside out as opposed to the outside in is a blessing and it is the yoke, the burden that is light. It's much lighter than trying to be some rock star, whatever. It's a heavy, a heavy load to carry, trying to be something you're not. I love you guys. I, I do mean that sincerely. I'll be praying for you this week, and uh, I'm going to lead it out with that song by Casting Crowns. This song is called Just Be Held. Uh, again, ASI247.org. Click on the Music tab. If you'd like to download any of the bumpers, the songs in their entirety, it'll be right there on the website. Or if you'd like to check out the Spotify playlist on Spotify, just search ASI Season 3, and this song and many others will be there. Till next time, bye. Hold it all together, everybody needs you strong. But life hits you out of nowhere and barely leaves you holding on And when you're tired of fighting, chained by your control There's freedom and surrender, lay it down and let it go So when you're on your knees and answers seem so far away you're not alone, stop holding on and just be here Your world's not falling apart, it's falling into place I'm on the throne, stop holding on and just be here Just be here Just be here